0: Okay, good evening, everybody. The uh, title of the share this evening is Living Without Thumbs, Drawing Strength from Limitation. Oftentimes in life we speak about overcoming deficiencies or rising above weakness. The truth is, that's not always possible. There are certain handicaps that we have naturally that are are real brick walls that are hard to get by. And therefore the question is not always, how do we get past it? How do we overcome it? But oftentimes the question is, how do we deal with it and thrive within the challenge? So it's not so much about overcoming deficiencies, but life is often about learning how to challenge or learning how to channel that particular challenge we have, And not just making the best out of it, but transforming that weakness or that perceived handicap into one of our greatest assets. We know that Lamech, the father of Noah, as soon as Noah is born, he says, This one, this little boy, he's going to save us from all of the hardship and the hassle Regarding the land that has been cursed by Hashem. He was very optimistic, and therefore he called his son Noah, because he will bring Nachhamma, he will bring some level of comfort. For the last ten generations, humanity, based on the curse that Baruch Hu gave to Adam, they've been dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety over farming, and it's been a hassle. Noah comes along and his father says This one will bring us relief Rashi explains Until Noach came into the world There was no plowing instruments They didn't have tools for farming But he was able to produce and create and innovate These tools for humanity It was a revolution Says the Meder Shtanchuma, which is the source of Rashi's comment How did Lamech know that his son would do this? Where was his, uh, his concept coming from? The Chinnovihaya? Was Lamech a prophet? So explains the Meder Shtanchuma That there was actually a conversation that took place between Odom and Hashem As soon as the Kaddish Baruch said the ground, the earth is now going to be cursed Adam says back How long will this go on for? This level of hardship Amr Loa Baruch Said back to Adam Adam Until someone is born Mahul circumcised Until that happens It will be in this uh, Very difficult state Be hard to deal with But as soon as that person is born mahul, then you'll know the time Has come because Noah was born circumcised, being well aware of this tradition, he saw his son, not only was it miraculous, but he now realized the fact that everything will be different, and that's why he called his son Noah. What did they do until the times of Noah? How did they work the fields? So the kiim HaGadah says, They would use their hands. They would use their hands. I was speaking to, uh, to Mo Yachnis recently, and he was quoting from his grandfather that when he got to Eretz Yisrael, he would actually plant trees... With his bare hands That's what they did They didn't have tools available to them So at his particular kibbutz They were outside for hours and hours at a time Digging in the soil with their bare hands And that was what reality was Until Noah was born It was at the Bar Mitzvah I had a conversation with Rabbi Avram Yachnis And he shared with me This commentary of the rush Quoting from Rabbi Huda Chassid. And I've never seen this before, never heard this idea before. But when he uh, shared with me this particular marimakam, this source, I was blown away. The Russianist commentary on this Pasik, he first quotes from the Medrash Tanchuma, that there was a misora, there was a tradition that once somebody is born circumcised, then the whole farming experience and therefore life itself will change and get somewhat easier. But then the Rush quotes Rabbi Huda Ha-Chassid, Right, the, the Rush was one of the Rishonim in the 13th century. Rabbi Huda Ha-Chassid lived in the 11th century. So he quotes Rabbi Huda Chasid saying that Shekodim Noach, Shekodim Nola Noach, lo Yelehem Pisuk boz. Before Noach was born, human beings did not have individual fingers like we saw from the Medushagada, they would use their hands, but it was actually very effective because their hands were somewhat like a shovel. Hence the picture on the cover of webbed feet. Vinoach Nolad <laughs> Noach, for the first time in human history, he was born with individual fingers. Volohayabo Koach Lachrosh and because he had individual fingers, his hand was not fully attached, he had a very difficult time farming and digging. He would try, but then the soil would fall between his fingers. Vizesh Chazal explains Rabbi Hudah al this is what the Medrash was telling us when it says that Noah invented tools and instruments for farming. What was his thing, what was his obsession with, with creating things for plowing. Where did that come from? Explains Rabbi huda HaChassid, that came from the fact that he couldn't do it like everybody else. Everyone had their way of digging, and they had their hands, they were equipped for the job. Noah was the first person in history, says Rabbi Huda, HaChassid, who had separated distinct fingers, and therefore he couldn't dig like everybody else. How do you think that made him feel? Nobody realized this at first. The only reason why Lamech, his father, was excited about the birth of his son was based on the fact that he was born Mohol. But the fact that he had individual fingers, Nebuch, right? He looks a little bit strange. Can you imagine him coming home from school? Mommy, all the boys in class are making fun of me. They're calling me finger boy. Hey, finger boy. Right? Can you give me a hand? <laughs> and he would complain to his mother. You know, we call it the opposable uh, thumb. The boys would make fun of him. Noah, you're opposable and disposable. Right? Can you think of all the creativity? It wasn't until he tried and he failed doing what everybody else did. Did he therefore have the hechruch? He had the motivation. He had the necessity to innovate, and it was that innovation that changed the world. So the reason why I was so blown away and inspired by this very strange conversation of the evolution of hands is because it's clear from Rabbi Huda Chassid, it was the handicap, it was the deformity, it was the abnormal normalcy of Noah that gave him the ability to change the world the evolution of hands is something that is uh, something interesting humans have distinctive hand anatomy that allows them to make use of tools apes and other non-human primates did not have these distinct uh, functional features in their hands the point in time these features first appeared in human evolution is still unknown. It's unknown until this evening. We know when that happened. That was 10 generations after the creation of the human being. I thought it was also fascinating that if you look at the development of an embryo, by the 10th week of pregnancy, or eight weeks after conception, the baby's head has become more round and your baby can now bend his head or her elbows. Toes and fingers lose their webbing and become longer. So 10 weeks, right, the toes and fingers now lose their webbing. Maybe there's a connection between the 10th generation of humanity and the 10 weeks in utero. I don't know. But I think the, uh, the lesson for us is the realization that someone who may be different than everyone else, who could not do the same thing as the other people in the world at that time, was able to change the world for the better because he had to. That's not overcoming uh, weakness. That's capitalizing on your weakness. The Rebidion and the Shari he tells us, Yad kol Yisrael When it comes to a Hashem, everyone has equal opportunity. We can all excel in our service of a Avoda. We don't have to be mediocre in our avodas Hashem. We could be extreme. What does that mean to be extreme? To devote all of our life, all of our heart, all of our mind to a Baruch Hu, every moment of our life. Then he says, "Ve'yesh lanu ki ruach It's easier for someone who's impoverished, who's all of, which means he's neglected or made fun of, he's not included, he's an outcast. It's easier for this person to actually acquire higher levels in their avodas Hashem. More so than the rest of his group or his society or his community where he feels that other people are getting more recognition. Other people are appreciated. If someone doesn't come to shul... Everybody notices. If I don't come to shul, nobody cares. I'm not part of this particular WhatsApp chat. Why didn't they include me? There were 45 other people here. How did they forget about me? There are so many things that make us feel bad about ourselves, about our social status. Says there, Ayona, we all have equal opportunity to excel in our Vodas Hashem, but... You have an advantage if you're neglected, if people don't care about you or respect you to the degree you think they should. And he explains, why is that the case? If anything, that should cause depression and hopelessness. He says, Like he says many times in the Sefer Shari Avodah, our avodes Hashem is dependent on the heart, on the mind, of the machshava. Sheyich ne'lifnei boro, that we're able to have a sense of humility, of hachna before HaKadosh Baruch <speaking in> Hu. <Hebrew> Ve'yis nadet lavdo, and to generously give selflessly to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to our avodes Hashem. But it's much easier to get to that point The point of humility The point of an understanding that I don't know everything And although people are so passionate about their views In so many different areas of life I could respect you, I could agree, I could disagree But the fact that I feel somewhat left out the fact that I'm feeling a little bit of an outcast, that could give me more of a sense of hachnah. It might not, it will not feel good in that moment. But ultimately, I have more of a chance of getting closer to a Kaddish Baruch who says there are yona. Again, this is not overcoming a weakness. This is not getting out of the state where now I'm the most popular kid in class. I'm still in a position where I feel people are ignoring me and when I'm standing there trying to have a conversation with two or three other people, it's I, it's as if I don't exist. I'm still in that position. But the Rebbe Yonah says, you actually now have an amazing opportunity. The Pasuk says, Korov Hashem Lenishbere Le'i Ruach yoshia. David Amalek tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Baruchu is close to those people of broken hearts. HaKadosh Baruch Baruchu is closer to me when I have a broken heart than when I'm flying high, than when I feel that everyone's of me and everyone appreciates me. HaKadosh Baruch Baruchu is close to the people with the broken heart. I remember personally, I'm not going to get into the details. But I had a particular experience Going back years ago Where I just felt like a complete fool That happens often, right? But I felt totally foolish And I remember Bishas Misa As it was taking place It was torturous Because nobody likes to feel that way But I remember afterwards feeling I have a certain clarity now that I didn't have before. As long as you're allowed to live in the make-believe world, in the world of hatslacha of success as defined by secular culture, or perhaps even from culture that's been penetrated from the secular culture, then we can live comfortably numb. Once that illusion is broken and you feel the nishbere lev, you feel that brokenness then there's something so real and it's painful but there's also a source of simcha in that feeling of hachna, that all I have is you Baruch Hu, because nothing else really matters we find this idea as well in many of the letters of the stipler there's one particular letter where he speaks about the the gain that we go through at a time of nafila when we're falling down. He's speaking to a young man. He starts off, as he does in many of his letters, that, you know, unfortunately, I don't have the, uh, the ability or the time to really write back at length. However, based on the situation you've presented, I really feel that I have to say something. And therefore, I'm going to answer you, Bikitsara. I'm going to respond back in a shorter way. He says, Every human being has days where they're up and they're down. There is no moral or religious imperative to be constantly impassioned, and nor is it possible. For sure, in our younger years, we're trying to find ourselves, trying to create our identity. It's an emotional roller coaster, but that could be true throughout life. Hanafila. When is the Ikaravoda Hashem? When is the main ability to actually come closer to a Baruch Hu That's Bizman, Hanafila. That's when I feel like a complete fool. That's when I feel that nobody really cares about me, that no one is machh me. That I'm not machshev myself. tam I'm not doing this for any other reason. I'm not doing it because it looks good. I'm not doing it because it feels good, because it doesn't feel good. It's a voda b'tzar. I'm pushing myself, and it's painful. I'm feeling the anguish. Nonetheless, Chazal teach us, Yofa achas... If I could do one thing with a level of pain, where I'm pushing myself, where there's discomfort, that is so infinitely more meaningful and significant than doing something bishalvas with a sense of serenity and tranquility. But then he explains why is this the case. Without the downfall, without the failure, without feeling the humiliation, you would be in a much lower place in your vodasashem. When we feel that we're on top of the world. Right? Recently my my kids have been into the new, or I don't know how new it is, the Nachas song. I'm a champion, I'm a warrior. I'm invincible, I'm unstoppable, I'm a dreamer dreaming on top of the world. So that's a wonderful place to be. But when you're there, when you're sitting and dreaming on top of the world, says the stipler, the one caveat, the one problem is. The sense of, of autonomy, of arrogance, of independence grows stronger. And I feel myself just soaring above so many other people, all the little people down there, and here I am over here. De take of mishis, go mimenu says the stipler. As soon as we feel that sense of autonomy. Not autonomy in a healthy way. That's obviously a good thing. But as soon as we have that sense of arrogance where I don't need you as much anymore, Baruch, because I'm doing just fine, then I no longer have any real connection with Hashem Yisborach. The Shekhinah leaves me. I'm no longer living in the divine presence. He says, however, all ye day nephilos, but when we fall down and we fail and we go through the humiliation... And people are, are, are speaking about us behind our backs. And, and they're making fun of us. And they don't care what I have to say. Al nishbarucho bakirbo. What happens? Your spirit inside can be broken. That doesn't feel good. <speaking in Hebrew> but listen to these words. Listen to these prophetic words of the stipler going. As soon as a person has that sense of humility based on a very unfortunate circumstance, or immediately the light and the radiance of a Kaddish Baruch Hu shines upon us to help us, to uplift us, to help us stand strong to help us return to the person we were before, but with more power and more courage, because I've been through the ringer. I've been put through a lot of stress. And he concludes his letter, ultimately, when you go through the nephilos of life, you will become one of the B'nai Aliyah HaG'dolim, one of those lofty neshamas, climbing the ladder of Ruchnius, coming closer to a Baruch Hu. So if you could imagine the way Noach felt, all of his friends are digging with their webbed hands and they're being super productive. And there's stickers on the board in class who could dig the most, who could dig the fastest. And he always has like one, one and a half stickers, and all of his friends have 50 or 60. He feels like a complete and utter failure. But it was that ability that he had to feel that way that inspired him, that gave him the koach the motivation to revolutionize the world. I wanna share with you a letter. This is a letter written by a daughter of someone who was paralyzed really from for most of his body in the very tragic accident. This is in the back on page six. And I think she has a very a very important point. And I think it's something that ties into the lesson of noach and the lesson of the stipler she writes that most stories that reach mainstream audiences about disabled or disability require the person to overcome it you've seen the headlines paralyzed bride walks down the aisle or paralyzed student walks on graduation day stories like these deserve and should continue to be shared But if those are the only stories we see in the media, we're only seeing one portrayal of disability, and we're ignoring the diversity of disability experiences and perspectives. Take paralysis as an example. Sure, some people would give anything to walk. Many go great lengths to achieve it, and some even succeed. However, not everyone has the option to walk. Some don't even want to. If we only focus on stories where the main theme or victory involves overcoming a disability, we alienate people and families who embrace it proudly as part of their identity and for whom a cure or remedy is not yet accessible and may never be accessible. We deny their reality by not acknowledging it, perpetuating the idea that the only way to live with the disability is to erase it. And this is not how I see my family's experience, and she explains. My dad was paralyzed in a car accident when I was 12 years old. He has lived without moving anything from the chest down or his fingers for the past 17 years. My dad faces challenges related to the disability, that's for sure. And our family endured a great deal of hardship when it first happened. But it does not mean that our lives ended that day. In fact, my dad lives a very fulfilling life as a wheelchair user. However, oftentimes, when I share the story about my dad's disability, many make assumptions about his life. Most often, they are negative or limiting. But these people have most likely never seen an alternative that shows otherwise. This gap in mainstream media hit me when I began sharing the story about my father dancing at my wedding for the first time in 17 years since his accident to give me a father and daughter dance that I've been looking forward to ever since I was a little girl. He loved dancing before he was paralyzed and although he knew it was impossible to dance in a wheelchair, he could never bring it, although he knew it was possible theoretically to dance dance in a wheelchair, he could never bring himself to do it. That lasted until he chose to honor my request for a dance at my wedding. Not only did my dad dance with me, but that one dance broke down a wall within him, and he didn't leave the dance floor the rest of the night. Then he danced at a wedding two weeks later. My dad's transformation is a story of a man who endured a life-altering trauma, and a special moment broke through an emotional wall that had kept him from doing something he loved. His story is powerful on many levels. Not only can he inspire others in wheelchairs to not give up their passion, but he can also show the rest of society that sometimes someone with a disability can live a happy and meaningful life. So the message here is, we don't have to overcome a particular challenge, and sometimes it may not be possible to do so. The question is always, what can I do with this challenge? How can I grow from it? Right now, it's a Zman of Nafila. Right now, I'm not feeling the love or support or the recognition or the appreciation, and that doesn't feel good at all. But this will make me more of a a Ben this will bring me closer to the Kodesh Baruch Hu because the Kodesh Baruch Hu is to those people with broken hearts. In the famous letter from Rav Hudner, just to share one line, Rav Hudner says that during the time where you feel the storm of the Yetzir, you feel that the Yetzir is getting the best of you, you should realize at this moment when you're fighting off, when you're showing restraint, when you're holding back that line that you want to say, although you know it's going to be hurtful. At this moment, you are more similar to the Gedoli Olam, to the greatest Torah personalities that ever walked the planet, than you are when you're sitting calmly and serenely in the base Medrash, learning from a Sefer. We all want to be there. We want a life of Menuch Hosei Nefesh. But explains with Hudner, Davke be'osem makomos." It's dafka in those places where you find yourself falling and you find yourself struggling. Dafka be'osem makomis omed hinach lios clearly it's tanosh shal kovod shemayim. There you have the greatest potential, the greatest opportunity to be marbek kovod shemayim, to come closer to a Baruch Hu. I want to share with you a couple of practical ideas of where a quote unquote disability. Or a challenge or a deficiency can actually be potentially helpful in our Vodas Hashem. Reb Chaim Shmulevitz in the Sichos Musr, when he speaks about the Midah of Bitachon, he quotes a, a famous story. First, he quotes from his Rebbe, who was of the opinion that whenever we speak about Bitachon, the goal is not to get too analytical. Not to delve into it to the extent where it becomes too much of a, uh, of a mind game and we can speak about all the different levels of bitachon and what it means and what it doesn't mean and when it applies, when it doesn't apply. He says, Kibalti, I receive the Mesorah, Shalolidaber, Be'inyan, Bitachon, Devar, Mamukim. Not to get too in depth when it comes to good old fashioned trust and reliance in Hashem. And he shares the story of the al Alshech. The holy al Alshech was sitting with his uh, Talmidim. They were in the base medrash together. And they were discussing the maila of right? How imperative it is for us to have full reliance and confidence in the Kaddish Baruch Hu. He says, And he said something somewhat radical. If a person has real bitachon in Hashem, you don't have to engage in parnasa. Not something to try at home. But that's what he was sharing with his very holy Talmudin. Happens to be in the back of the room. There was the bala gola, which is the classic term for someone who was totally ignorant. He was not a Talmudic scholar. He was sitting there reading to and he happens to overhear the conversation with the al and his Talmudim. Kshamu as <laughs> Divr al when he heard these words, Malibo," <speaking in Hebrew> they penetrated his heart. <speaking in Hebrew> so this wagon driver said, "You know what?" If that's what the Rebbe is saying, that's what I'm going to do. He sold his entire Parnassa, He sold his wagon and his donkey. And he sat the entire day in the base medrash saying to Hillam, As time goes by, miracles happen and somehow supernaturally this guy who was poor beforehand who was working hours and hours a day not having much time for learning our hisbodidus now that he was taking the advice of the Rebbe of the Alshech miracles were happening he was able to feed his family berevach. he had everything and more the other great disciples of the Alshech came back to their Rebbe and they had a complaint said what's going on? How is this possible? We also took your advice. We also stopped engaging in parnasa. We weren't doing any of the normal hishtadlash. We were just focused on bitachon and reliance on the kadosh baruchu. And we're suffering greatly. We don't have a parnasa. We can't put food on the table. But yet this guy, this ignoramus, somehow he's the biggest bitachon in the world. So the said back to his students, he said, "It's very, very simple and straightforward. When it comes to bitachon, the most powerful form of real and adulterated trust and reliance in Hashem, like David HaMelech writes in Tehillim, is mamish feeling like a baby." A baby being held by his mother. Nursing from his mother. There are no other concerns. Nothing else in the world exists. It's just me and the Kaddosh Baruch Hu, And you can just breathe that sense of relief. There's no stress. There's no anxiety. He said, the problem with you guys is you're too smart you know too many different sources and you're being mefalpel back and forth and having conversations and according to the Chobos Levavos if you read it like this then he would argue in the Rambam but if you read the Rambam like this then it turns out he'd be saying the same thing as the Chobos Levavos according to the Zomor Misalan and Mamela comes out you don't have that childlike bitacha so one area where if you have a guy sitting in yeshiva and he might not be the smartest person in the group or you have a girl in seminary. I was speaking to somebody recently. First of all, being in yeshiva or seminary right now is so incredibly difficult. If there's any year not to be in Eretz Yisrael, it's probably this one, right? It's very hard for these boys and girls. But she was sharing with me, not only can she, does she have a hard time sitting in class when she's not in quarantine, because there's so many hours of learning and memorizing, and there's a, there's pressure involved, but she feels like she doesn't get it as quickly as everybody else. So I told her, that must really hurt. That must be very frustrating. However... That has nothing to do with Yeravotas Hashem. And it could very well be when you feel that that I'm inferior, although we have to work on that. But when we're feeling that we're not respected and we're not looked at as the top student, that could be our ticket to greatness. That could be our, our Pesach, our opening to real, open, vulnerable spirituality. When it comes to bitachon that's definitely the case. You don't have to be the greatest lamdan in the world. You don't have to have years and years of in-depth experience. You just have to have a sincere heart, sometimes a broken heart, and just pour reliance and everything on a Kadosh Baruchu. That bitachon may be more powerful than the bitachon of someone who's learned, it, who's well versed in all of the different sources. That's one area I think where a a deficiency can actually come in handy. Rav Nachman Breslov, in one of the teachings in Lakute Moran, he speaks about a similar idea, where he says sometimes in Judaism we have the, the distraction or the, the hurdle of seichel. And this sounds so incredibly against everything good Litvish Judaism stands for. So we have to understand this carefully. On one hand, the seichel, the intellect, is the greatest gift in the world. And that's why the first thing we ask for in the Shemona Esrei is, chonein Das Baruch Hu, you give us And we're asking, please allow us to understand ourselves, allow us to understand life and Torah. But sometimes, if you're too smart, that itself uh, could lead you to complexity, to confusion. Nachman writes, When a person is led only based on the cold intellectual pursuit or understanding of Judaism, it's possible to fall into many traps, to go in directions that's not actually bringing you closer to Hashem, but could be potentially expanding the ego. He says, He says, the Iker Hayadus, the main theme of Judaism, which is a very broad and sweeping statement, is to go with a Kadesh Baruchu, with sincerity, with purity, Upshitus, with simplicity, B'li Shum Chachmos, without overanalyzing. Now, again, we would not understand this to mean that you shouldn't be thinking that hard. <laughs> That's the whole mitzvah of Liban HaTorah. That's the greatest thing we could possibly do. But at the same time, we can't allow the thinking process to get in the way of the emotions. He says it's very simple. If we proceed with a sense of purity and simplicity, and everything we do, every choice we make, Hashem I'm just thinking of what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want from me? Will this bring me close to Hashem or will it bring me farther away from Hashem? Am I doing this because it will bring me more recognition and more prestige or am I doing it because I feel in the heart of hearts this is the ratzon HaBoreh this is the right thing. And he says and he makes it sound so simple if we're able to do that then we've made it. So that means sometimes not being the most brilliant person in the world is not a handicap. It might be harder when in sheer, when trying to figure something out, but having the temimos, the tahara, that sense of pashtus, of simplicity, that could be helpful with a sense of bitachon and an overall mahalik, overall path in Judaism, just being open and humble. Now mice, I think the last point here which is very important when analyzing how our our at least the perceived deficiencies can actually help us and propel us towards greatness is not just the way we look at ourselves right how i feel when i'm failing or how i feel when i'm not getting what i what i need but it's also extremely helpful in how we view others so often If there's something that's bothering me about you, or there's something that I'm very resentful, or I might be jealous of something, it's the very thing that I look at in a negative light that is actually extremely positive. And now it may be you're not using it in a positive way right now, but it's that same exact middah, that same exact shoresh hanefesh that could be so bothersome that could lead to Ra but it's that same weakness that same vulnerability that you have can be your greatest asset so it's not just the way we perceive ourselves and the way that we we speak to ourselves but when I'm looking at you when, when I'm judging you when I'm trying to evaluate you Having this in mind can be a game-changer in bringing more ava, more love, and more acceptance. We'll conclude with this source from the Eish Kodesh. This is in his introduction to Chovas HaTalmidim. He says, you should know, he quotes from the Baal Shem Tov, Ein midah Rab behechlit yisrael. There is no such thing as a bad midah, intrinsically in a Jewish child. You're not going to find that. This was the horah, this was the instructions of the Baal Shem Tov. We have to know how to deal with them, and how to try to channel that midah in the right direction. Mushal, for example, he gives two examples here. If you have a kid, Either your child and your family or a student in the class. And he is so incredibly chutzpahedik. And the teacher is suffering over and over again. The kid has no respect, has no reverence, doesn't listen to anything I have to say. So the eighth of the suggestion of the Eish Kodesh is... Just think about his bright future. Think about the future of this little boy or this little girl when they're channeling it in the right direction. They'll be able to proceed and continue in their vodas Hashem in a stubborn way, in a relentless way, with tenacity, with strength, with persistence, because they have this Mida of achshaniyus, because you're stubborn. Lo they're not gonna be a pushover, they're not gonna waver back and forth, But once they have clarity and once they have that that connection, they will pursue Torah with vigor and nothing will stop them. Don't look at the kid right here in front of you who's making your life miserable, but look at this adult 20 years from now. What kind of leader in Kal Yisrael can he or she be? How they could impact others through their strength of character. And his second example is, let's say you have a child with cuss. Now, he's talking about children because his main focus is education, but the same discussion applies to a spouse or to a friend or a colleague. Someone is always getting angry, and being around that person can bring a sense of insecurity, sometimes even fear. I I, I can't stand when he loses it like that. Explains the Esh Kodesh. Realize where the kas is coming from. Where does anger come from? He says the shorish of that is a fire. A spiritual fire that's all-consuming. And we know that if it's not kept in check and channeled in the right direction, it could be deadly. Physically, spiritually, and emotionally. But he says, if you were to show anybody an esrog, an esrog tree, and explain how beautiful the tree is, how valuable these esrogim will be, and they look at the esrog when it's just starting out, little tiny thing coming out of the branch, and they take it off the tree and they eat it right then and there, they're going to say, this is disgusting. What can you do with this? Or he says, take it one step further if instead of looking at the esrog tree or the esrogan that the tree's producing, they look at the seeds, and they take the seeds and they start eating the seeds, that's, that's obviously not food. So explains the Esh Kodesh, when we look at people and we judge them, we evaluate them, we place them into the box of where they are right here and now, we're eating the seeds of the esrog, we're not appreciating the fruit that it can be. But if we could envision what it means, it takes a lot of work and patience and chachma and discussion, but if we could somehow take that force of anger within the child and help them channel it they also need to know how to control it but to help them channel it to productive ruhniistic purposes then ain't the shire we can't even fathom how far they can go in life So obviously, there are many things we need to work on. It's not just accepting ourselves for who we are and where we are. We believe in Tikkun Hamidos. We believe in Shvira's Hamidos. We try to break through our many limitations. However, there are particular limitations within our personality, sociologically or psychologically, that are part of who we are, that are part of the intrinsic makeup or to use more mystical terms, it's part of the mazel of the neshama. And that nakuda doesn't change, but it can be channeled. We could view it as a disability, we can view it that I'm different than other people, and therefore I can't do the same thing as others. I can't keep up in class like everyone else can. I can't sit in my seat for more than 15 minutes, and this kid is sitting here for three hours straight. And there are so many things that can make that frustrating based on the, the environment in which we live. But at the same time, to realize within ourselves, and perhaps even more importantly, within others, it's a midas Hanefish. That weakness can be your greatest asset. I look at my husband, and I don't like this particular mida He's too uptight. Why can't you just chill out a little bit and relax? But it's that same mida of being too uptight that allows him to accomplish and thrive in so many different areas of life and relationships. HaKadosh Baruch should give us the patience, patience with ourselves and patience with others, and also the wisdom to be able to see the chisaro and to see a deficiency, to see what's usually viewed as a handicap, but to realize this could be our greatest asset to humanity. Okay, good